Um, we've been in this conversation called Daring Faith, and what we've been discovering as we went through it um, uh, is that is that faith is the 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 thing that that spans the gap that that our present circumstances wherever we are here uh as opposed to where our hope is there the thing that spans the gap between them is our faith so we've been we've been asking the question and kind of trying to learn how we could have a, a bigger faith a, a bolder a more risk taking kind of faith and as we've been uh, working through the things we've been learning uh, one of the things we've learned is that we should wait for god last that that if we're waiting for God to do something um, it, that moves us toward our faith, uh, we're probably going to be waiting a long time. God typically asks his people to to act, and then he does what they can't do. Once they've reached the end of their strength, once they've reached the point where only God can, can do the rest, uh, God acts. But if we wait on God before we've done what we can do, uh, we might be waiting a long time. So we've learned to wait for God last, and we've also learned that... Um, we should add a zero. We should, we should make big requests of, of, uh, God. When, when we only ask small things of Jesus, that's not a compliment. That at least some of our prayers should be big, bold prayers. So that's what we've been looking at. How faith bridges the gap, um, between here and hope, uh, how we should wait on God last, and how, uh, adding a zero actually magnifies Jesus. It's a way of, uh, paying Jesus a compliment. So that's the, that's where we've kind of come from. But today, before we go any further with this series, we really have to kind of stop and say, yes, but how big is enough? Uh, you know, uh, okay, a, a big faith is good. A big faith magnifies Jesus. Um, Jesus routinely called his disciples little faiths. He said, you of little faith. He says it all through the, the, the gospel accounts. Jesus uh, comments on how we have such little faith. But at the same time, Jesus says, if we had faith the size of a mustard seed, then we could command the mountain to jump into the water, that we could literally move mountains if we had even a small amount of faith. So how much do we need? What's the right amount of faith? You know, what's enough? How much faith do we need? And I think the the... The, the way to get at that question, the way to, way to get at the answer to that question is to come at it from a different angle. Um, and here's the angle that, that works for me. I hope that this works for you. When I was an unbeliever, I, I used to see and I would nod at this thing that sometimes, you know, you'd see it writing in writing and today it would be an internet meme. Uh, but it would be, it was something along the lines of religion is a crutch. That, that basically only weak people need religion. Only only weak people need a religion because religion's just a crutch. And if you're strong, you should be able to get through your life um, without any help. That that you know, religion is just a crutch. And I would kind of nod at that. But you know, uh, I was I was a unbeliever at the time. I have become a follower of Jesus. I've also matured about thirty years worth, whatever that is. I don't know what that is for you, but I know I've I've matured at least that much. So I see it differently today. And today I would say if. If you can get through your life without any help, without anything to lean on but your own strength, then you've probably led a pretty sheltered life. And not just you, but the people you care about. If you've never been knocked on your back, if you've never just had the, the, the wind knocked out of you by the circumstances of your life, then you've probably had a pretty sheltered life. I think most of us can think of places in our life where we have wanted a crutch, where we've wanted something we could lean on where we were held together by something we were able to lean on. 
So I think most of us realize we need something that we can lean on. Jesus himself uses this sort of language when he talks about how we could build our lives like a house. And it depends on what the, the strength of our house depends on what kind of foundation we build it on. If we build the foundation on him, if we build our, our, our house on the foundation that is him, that's like somebody building a house on rock and it will withstand the storms. He says everybody's going to have storms in their lives. Everybody's going to have storms, but what you build it on, what it is you're able to lean on makes all the difference because if you build it on a poor foundation, then it'll be washed away by those storms. So, so whether you, you like, you know, Jesus' metaphor or mine, you know, I'll let you pick, but Jesus talks about a house. Um, I know there are unbelievers who talk about crutches. The question is, what can we lean on in the storms? How can we, how can we have something that will hold us up? When the storms come, you know, when, when the problems of our life come to us, you know, we just heard in our prayers, their health concerns. When the doctor says, you know, before we talk about treatment, I want to run some more tests. What can we lean on then? What can we lean on when our finances are stretched as far as they will possibly go? And then we have a sudden unexpected expense. What can we lean on when the person that we had hoped to spend our life with says, I don't want to be with you anymore? What can we lean on when our kids are running wild or when our parents don't have a clue what we're having to deal with? What can we lean on when our work is intense, the pressure is beyond anything we thought we would ever have to face, and there's so much uncertainty at our work? What can we lean on when we miss someone so much? We know they're gone. We know that they're never coming back and crying won't make any difference. But everything we see reminds them of us. What can we do? What can we lean on when the storms of life come? How can we know what we can lean on? When I was young, people had this saying, you're about as funny as a rubber crutch. If religion is a crutch... How do we know the crutch we can lean on? Well, there's actually two ways we heard about them today in our readings. The first one is don't worry about it. Just wait, and sure enough, when that storm comes, you're going to find out. You're going to find out if what you're leaning on is is good enough. We saw that in the story from the Exodus. The people of God um, don't really have much faith at this point. They're, they have a vague notion that there's a God who, who has uh, made covenant with their ancestors, but we see as we follow their story, their faith in God is extraordinarily small and they test it so rarely. So they are backed up against the wall. Pharaoh's army is coming after them. God has led them out of captivity in Egypt. Uh, they have been slaves there and now Pharaoh's army is coming to kill or to re-enslave them. And they're backed up against the Red Sea. There's nothing they can do. And God opens up a path for them. And they look at their two choices and they say, I'll take this one. But they don't know that it's going to work. They just pick it as the lesser of two evils. They don't know whether those those uh, walls of water are going to be held back by God or not. So that's one way. We can go through our lives saying, you know, when the time comes, I'll deal with it. And certainly there's people who God has... God has surprised them in ways they never expected. But there is another way that we see in our second reading, the way that Peter 
demonstrates, and that is to lean on the crutch, to test the crutch. How much weight will it bear? To get used to it, to find out, is this a crutch that I can trust? And the difference between these two is one gives us peace. Even when we don't have a problem, when we don't know what's going on, when we don't know what kind of storms we're going to face, if we have tested the crutch, if we put some weight on it, if we've leaned on it from time to time, then we have more peace about whether the crutch will hold us up when we need it. So, our scripture is from chapter 14 of Matthew's biography. This event is actually in three of the biographies of Jesus. It's in Matthew, Mark, and John. Um, and uh, Luke, for whatever reason, doesn't include it. But Matthew includes a detail. The reason that we're going to look at it is Matthew includes the story of what Peter did after Jesus walked on the water. So um, you've probably heard this before if you've been around church for very long. It says, immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat. The language is very, very uh, strong here. Jesus insisted that they get in the boat. And he sends them off across the the water. And then he dismissed the crowds. He's just fed this multitude. And uh, the crowd maybe is thinking, you know, we can... Um, we can stay and get another another free meal tomorrow or whatever it was, but Jesus dismisses them. But first he dismisses his disciples. And then once everybody's dispersed, he goes up the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening was there, um, when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat is in trouble. Now, uh, we don't know how bad of a storm this was. Earlier in, in Matthew's biography, he tells us about another another storm where the disciples were, were concerned their boat would sink. Here we don't see quite that level of concern, but they just can't get very far. They've been uh, uh, dealing with this uh, uh, the the waves, wet, battered by the waves. It says far from the land, and there's a little footnote there. Um, uh, it says um, uh, other ancient authorities read out in the sea. It was some distance away from shore, probably too far to want to turn back, but at the same time not far enough to to see shore. Um, so they're kind of stuck in the middle. Uh, in John's telling of this story, he says it was about three miles from land. So uh, they've been rowing all night, trying to trying to maintain some some progress against the the waves. And uh, in about nine hours of rowing, they've made about three miles of of distance. So there they are. They're exhausted. They're tired, and they see Jesus as he comes walking to them across the water. And they do exactly what anybody would do if they see somebody. If, if they've been rowing against the waves all night long and then they see somebody walking on the water, they cry out in terror. They say it's a ghost and they cried out in fear. And then we read that Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. So that is the story of how Jesus walks in the water. But as I said, Matthew tells us one extra detail. He tells us about Peter. Because Peter... Uh, you know, I don't know, is Peter disloyal to his friends here, or is he just not thinking about them at all? Because he wants to be where Jesus is. He's tired. Um, maybe he's afraid of the boat and the waves, but he's certainly tired of being out in this boat all night. He looks at Jesus and says, I want to be where Jesus is. So he says, he says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you in the water. I think Jesus illustrates kind of a big principle here, the 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 am I leaning on the crutch principle. Uh, and it's to look at your life and say to yourself, what in my life could only be explained by the work of a loving God? What in my life can only be explained by the work of a loving God? 
if you're following in the outline, the question is, what can you not do apart from God's power? There's all the kinds of things we can do. You know, Peter could stay on that boat all night long. He could stay until the winds, you know, we don't see that the the boat is actually about to sink. Peter could be there forever. But what can he not do apart from God's power? What can you not do apart from God's power? I think for a lot of us, most of the time, it's, you know, honestly, there was that one time, you know, 10 years ago, I really felt that, that I wasn't going to make it except for God. Or, or maybe we can say there was that thing. I've never exactly figured out how it worked out that way, but there was that thing that God did. But, but as for today, the rest of today, tomorrow, there's really not much in my life that I can't do apart from God. So what in your life can you not do apart from God? Peter has an answer right to hand. He says, Lord, if it's you, then command me to come out of the boat, to come to you on the water, to get, to, to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and started walking toward Jesus. Peter looks at his situation and he says, I would like to be where Jesus is. And so he says, Lord, I seek your presence. So direct me. Jesus asks for God's presence and direction. Peter leverages his fear to grow his faith. So Peter says, God, if it's you, Jesus, if it's you, then command me to come to you on the water. I want to be out of this boat and I want to be with you. But I can't do it unless you direct me. So he seeks Jesus' presence and direction in order to leverage his faith and grow his, leverage his fear to grow his faith. Something Peter has done implicitly by, by announcing this. You know, I think the other disciples are sitting there in the boat. Maybe they'd like to be Jesus, with Jesus too. But they haven't made any kind of commitment. They're basically sitting in the boat saying it'd be great if Jesus saved us. He saved us back in chapter 8. It would be wonderful if the boat would just like instantly arrive at shore. That would be wonderful. But they don't say anything. They don't make any kind of a commitment. They don't make any kind of uh, announcement about their intention to do anything. But Peter does. Peter makes a commitment. He says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come. And of course, I will come wherever you call me. Peter makes an announcement of his intention. And then he gets out of the boat. Jesus says, come. And so Peter got out of the boat. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine actually getting out of a boat in the middle of a lake? Just here, I'm going to step out, expecting not to plunge in. You know, it's not scuba diving. He's thinking, I'm going to walk in the water just like Jesus. Peter actually declares his intention to do it and then does so. So announce your intent and then act. And I wonder about those other disciples, the ones who did not make any kind of announcement. They're kind of thinking it would be great if Jesus saved us, but that's where they leave it. They just say, you know, it would be wonderful if someday Jesus saved us, but I'm not going to ask him for anything. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make any kind of a commitment about what my response will be. You know, Peter so often comes across in scripture as kind of the dummy, you know, the, the lovable, lovable goofball who's always saying the wrong thing, you know. Jesus says this, and Peter does something that's that's impetuous. Uh, Peter's always doing something that's 
that's impetuous and, and maybe a little silly, doesn't reflect well on him. And I guess Peter just was comfortable with that. Peter had kind of become comfortable with being that. And so instead of trying to impress the other disciples by saying, I don't need Jesus. I don't need to sit here in this boat. I mean, I, I can sit here in this boat all night long. You know, let the storms come to me. I'm stronger than these waves. Peter doesn't try to impress his friends. Peter does something that inspires them. You know, imagine imagine if you're in that boat with Peter, and he jumps out. You know, you may still think Peter's kind of a goofball. I would never do that. But you probably also say, I would love to have the kind of faith in Jesus that Peter has. You know, Peter goes on to be a leader in the church. And I think it's because of this. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather follow somebody who had great faith than somebody who never did anything silly. So why impress people when you can inspire them? So Peter gets out. It says he walked on the water. We don't know how far he walked, but it says he came toward Jesus. Did he get halfway? Did he get within a step or two? We don't know. But it says, when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And the scripture tells us that Jesus immediately reached out his hand. This this word immediately is very clear. Jesus didn't save him eventually. He was, you know, in his ankles when he cried out. And by the time he got to his knees, Jesus saved him. Jesus immediately saved him. And he said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? They got in the boat and the wind ceased. And those worshipped him, those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. You know, if you get out of the boat, whatever whatever boat you're thinking about, whatever whatever uh, crutch you're leaning on or want to lean on, the crutch you want to test, whatever 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 you think is a place in your life, where you'd like to know, is God going to support me? When you get out of the boat, sinking may be part of God's plan, or it may not. There's no reason to believe here that Peter couldn't have walked the whole way. But Peter was prepared for either possibility because he knew that Jesus was capable of saving him. So he got out of the boat knowing that his trust was not in the water holding him up, but in Jesus catching him. So sinking may be God's plan for you, or it may not. But either way, Jesus is able to save you. So I would ask you to consider your life. Look at your life and say, where are the places in my life where I'm operating under my own power? Where are the places in my life where everything that's going on there can be completely explained by the same things that happen for everybody? You know, my heart's beating. Everybody's heart's beating. You know, I'm still breathing. Yes, but everybody is experiencing God's common grace. Where in your life is there something that can only be explained because you have a relationship with God and because you're leaning into it? Where are the places in your life that... You're excited by what God is doing. Maybe even a little frightened by what God is doing. Because by leaning into those places, by leaning on that crutch, 
you find out how strong it is. You know, we never read that Peter walked on water again. There's no reason to believe anybody ever walked on water again. But think how much easier it was the next time Jesus had to test, uh, Peter had to test his faith. The next time he had to stand before governors and, and give a testimony about Jesus. How much easier it was because he had walked on water and because he knew Jesus would catch him. Where in your life are you a little afraid and very excited about what God is doing? Because those are the places, as you lean into those, you find out how strong the crutch is. You know, I would be remiss given uh, the, the financial challenges that our church is facing. This is, this, you know, for, for whatever reason, it seems like I have mostly heard this passage of scripture, uh, uh preached on during stewardship times in churches. So obviously an, uh, a, a very easy application is for me to say, are you, are you trusting God with your finances? Are you, committing as many of your resources to God's work as you think you can? Does it excite you? Does it scare you a little bit? So that's an application, but I wouldn't limit it to that. Certainly that's a that's a great application, and our financial uh, uh, team will certainly thank you if you step up your giving. But think of it broader. Where in your life are you excited by what God is doing? Where are you a little afraid? Because those are the places that as you seek God's presence and direction, as you announce your intent, and as you act, you learn how strong the crutch is. Let's pray. Loving God, you've told us that this side of heaven, there is no relief from the storms of life. That there will always be a pharaoh chasing us. There will always be a storm rocking our boat. In this world, we will have trouble. But you've told us that you've overcome the world. And you give us the opportunity to lean into that. And so, Lord, we pray you would guide us. Help us to find places where we can where we can seek your presence and direction and where we can commit to act as you call us so we can learn the strength of the crutch that is our faith and have peace. We pray it all through Christ our Lord. Amen.